So what if everyone and their mother has reviewed this movie already? That won't stop me. I'll drink coffee with my left hand, and type with my right. I'll take this movie, and review it! Shall we begin? Greetings and salutations, friends. You read the title, you know what you're in for. Let's get started. Let me start by saying that adaptations are hard. Transferring a story from one medium to another is no small thing, especially when your goal is to condense several years worth of story into a film that clocks in just under two hours. And if that story is already beloved by thousands of people, living up to that original story can be nigh well impossible. Add on to that the challenge of translating a story from one cultural context to another, and you've got yourself a no-win situation. Such were the challenges faced by the creators of the 2017 Netflix movie Death Note. Released on August 25th of this year, Death Note is an American film adaptation of the beloved Japanese anime of the same name. Both stories are about a high school kid who receives a magical notebook that kills anybody whose name is written inside it. The film moves the setting from Japan to Seattle, Washington, and tells a very different story from that of the anime. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with trying to adapt a story from one culture to another. Fans of the TV show The Office already know that. Adaptations are an opportunity to bring a great story to a new audience and to explore the subtleties that make up one's culture. However, watching an adaptation of an already beloved story can be hard for fans, and comparisons will inevitably drag down any adaptation. That's why I've decided that, before I smother this movie with all the reasons the original is superior, I'd like to examine Death Note on its own terms, as a movie not an adaptation. So, let's break it down, scene by scene. The movie opens on, on an establishing shot of Seattle, Washington, while the Australian crawl song Reckless plays in the background, because nothing says America like 80s Australian surf rock. We then cut to a high school where we are introduced to our two main characters through a series of dreamlike dissolve cuts. Mia Sutton, played by Margaret Qualley, is shown standing atop a cheer pyramid and frowning, so you know that she's really edgy. While our protagonist, Light Turner, played by Nat Wolf, sits nearby doing other people's math homework for cash, because he's really smart. Meanwhile, jocks are jocking, cheerleaders are cheering, and the overall tone is that of a chill 80s flick full of the usual high school tropes. This is clearly a place where nerds are nerds, football players rule the school, and cheerleaders never date outside their class. I wouldn't have been surprised if the Brat Pack made a surprise guest appearance by the end. Our two leads make eyes at each other from across the field, but are interrupted by the title card, which informs you that no, you didn't put on the wrong movie. This is, in fact, Death Note. As the music fades, we watch a large black notebook fall from the sky and land next to Light's feet. Light picks up the notebook, which reads DEATH NOTE in all caps on the cover. A sudden storm drives everybody inside, but before he can get out of the rain, Light witnesses a jock asshole named Kenny straight up mug a kid. Before he can intervene, Mia Sutton comes out of nowhere and shoves the jock off the kid. Kenny turns his attention to Mia, which is when Light intervenes to disastrous results. You got held back, didn't you, Kenny? Twice, I think. Isn't that funny? 
Uh, no, I think it's very sad, actually. I only mentioned it because that would make you over 18, which means that if you were to beat me up, which I'm sure you could, it would technically be child abuse. So if you don't want to wind up on some kind of registry, I suggest you back the f Despite his entirely rational argument, Light gets knocked flat and drops his collection of papers on the muddy ground. Mia goes to alert a teacher, but because street rules apparently apply to high school bullies, tells her that Light was knocked out by, quote, walking into a beam, despite the fact that there were clearly no beams in that previous scene. The teacher discovers Light's little side business and sends him to the principal's office. The principal, due to being either a genre cliché or a biting commentary on the American school system, cares more about Light's cheating than the literal felon walking the halls, and he gives him detention. Alone in detention, Light pulls out the death note and begins to read. Inside is a list of rules. Rule one, the human whose name is written in this note shall die. Whoa. Rule two, this note will not take effect unless the writer has the person's face in their mind when writing his or her name. The following pages are filled with dozens of other rules describing the death note's power, followed by a list of names that were written by previous owners. There is a commotion in the back of the empty classroom, and Light goes to investigate, eventually coming face to face with an eight-foot-tall demon-looking motherfucker. This demon-looking motherfucker is Ryuk, a Shinigami, or Death God, voiced by Willem Dafoe. In an unnecessarily showy display, the door to the classroom locks, and Light freaks the hell out as objects begin to be thrown around the room. <laughs> that over, Ryu constructs Light on the use of the Death Note, and encourages Light to use it on Kenny, who, in a convenient bit of holery, is just outside the window assaulting a young woman in broad daylight. Seeing as no one is calling the cops, Light agrees to write Kenny's name in the Death Note, and, at Ryuk's encouragement, specifies his manner of death as decapitation. What follows is a sequence straight out of a Final Destination film. A bag of groceries carried by a woman across the street rips open, knocking a basketball that some kid was dribbling out into the street. The kid runs into traffic in order to chase the ball, causing a car with a poorly tied-down ladder on its roof to crash into another car, launching said ladder into Kenny's stupid face, which explodes in a gl gloriously grotesque bit of gore. His point made, Ryuk tells Light that he can either use the Death Note's power for himself, or allow him to pass it on to somebody else. Light leaves without making a decision. Later that night, we see Light join his father James Turner, played by Shea Wiggum, for dinner. Light's father is less than sympathetic about Light getting punched in the face, and more concerned with the fact that he was caught cheating. This scene provides us with a few details about Light and his family. 1. Light's mother was killed in a hit-and-run case, where the perpetrator went free because of his father's money and connections. 2. We learn Light's father is a detective for the police department, who only plays by the rules. The two have a fight, and Light goes up to his room, where he begins to read the rules to the Death Note. Rule 64. Each page of the note contains the power of the whole note. Rule 95. Anyone may write names in the note, but only Keeper can possess it for more than seven days. Jesus, how many rules does it He also finds the message, Don't trust Ryuk, written in the margin. Suddenly, Ryuk appears, and further explains the rules to Light. Rule 20. A subject can be influenced for no more than two days leading up to his death. 
Rule 28. Each death must be physically possible, so no shark attacks while someone's on the toilet. <laughs> as much as I love that idea. Armed with this new knowledge, Light uses the notebook to write down the names of his mother's killer, Antony Scomel. We are then treated to yet another Final Destination death sequence. The victim, Antony Scomel, is having dinner at a swank restaurant when a couple making out at the table across from him accidentally knocks a salt shaker onto the ground. A passing waiter slips on the salt shaker and falls into Scomel, jamming his neck onto the steak knife in his hands. We are treated to a beautiful shot of Scomel spewing blood from his mouth like water from a hose before he collapses face first into his plate of steak. Light is woken up the next day by his father, who happily informs him that Antony Scomel is dead. The two share a tender moment over the death of this man, and Ryu cackles with glee. At school, Light is flipping through the death note in the gym, for some reason, when he is approached by Mia. Despite clearly being into each other since at least the opening scene, this is the first time the two characters have talked to each other. Mia is very interested to know how Kenny died, and Light is too busy trying to hide his heart on to notice that this girl is completely unhinged. Mia asks Light about his journal, and he obliges her. Death note? What is it? What is what? Your book? Uh, I can't tell you. Okay. Do you really want to know? Light tries to show Mia Ryuk in, his ca in the cafeteria, but it turns out that only the owner of the Death Note can see him. So instead, Light decides to show Mia how the Death Note itself works. Finding a story on the local news about a hostage situation, Light scribbles the perpetrator's name down and tells Mia to watch. Before their very eyes, the hostage-taker walks out of the building, stands in the middle of the street, gives a military salute, and is promptly run over by a SWAT truck, exploding into gory bits in the process. Light shows Mia the journal, where he wrote the exact manner of death, and Mia is sold. Light expresses his desire to use the Death Note to rid the world of all crime, and Mia encourages him to go crazy with it. The two go back to his house, and Light goes in for the kiss. Can I kiss you? You're not supposed to ask. Because Mia has never watched a sexual harassment prevention video in her life. Also, Mia is exactly the type of person to say yes and then claim rape the day after, but Light is too busy thinking with his dick to notice. We are then treated to a glorious montage of Nookie and death, as Mia and Light go on a killing spree, murdering every felon and war criminal they can find on the internet and news, between heavy makeout sessions. The juxtaposition of brutal criminal suicide and teenage romance is uncomfortable, to say the least. In the midst of this snogging and slaughter, Light decides he doesn't want to just rid the world of criminals, he wants to put the fear of God into every would-be criminal in the world. So he gives himself a pseudonym. Light chooses the name Kira because it is Russian and Celtic for Light, which Mia points out is a little too on the nose but totally works because Kira is also sort of the Japanese word for killer. Which is technically true, though it's kind of like saying that pizza is the English word for pizza. It's the same word with a different accent. Nonetheless, Light sticks to the name Kira and has his victims write his name in Japanese before their deaths in order to convince the world that Kira is from Japan. The plan works, and soon people begin to fear and worship Kira as some kind of god. In case the point wasn't clear enough, the movie also provides plenty of footage of several crumbling and 
defaced cathedrals to drive the point home. We then cut to a Japanese nightclub where two gangs have been brutally slaughtered by Kira. It is here that we are introduced to L, played by Lakeith Stanfield, a detective who hides his face behind a black scarf. A Japanese police officer wonders how Kira could have known about these gangs, as they've been at peace for a number of years. L informs him that he was the one who tipped off Kira, and as a result now knows where Kira is operating. Meanwhile, James Turner, Light's dad, has joined a task force assembled by L to take down Kira. Detective Turner is not well liked by his co-workers, who appreciate Kira's killing spree for making their jobs easier. James, however, disagrees. What part of terrorists killing each other and criminals turning themselves in bothers you, Dad? Why exactly are they doing that, son? They're doing it because of Kira. Right, and who's that? How does Kira get decided who lives and dies? Who's guilty and is? Is there a complaints department if I don't like one of Kira's decisions? Or would complaining just get me put on Kira's list? Is that what everybody at the station thinks? Safe to say I'm ahead of the curve on that one. At the station, James is met by a man named Watari, L's handler, played by Paul Nakauchi, who gets him in touch with L. L informs him that Kira has connections with the Seattle Police Department and employs his help in ferreting him out. Meanwhile, Amiya shows Light a website that has popped up where people can submit targets for Kira to kill. Light is worried about the validity of these kinds of accusations, but Mia shrugs off these concerns, stating that these people just need their help. Later, L makes a public statement on TV, warning Kira that he is after him and daring Kira to kill him if he can. L lives and concludes that Kira can only kill a person if they know their name and face. That night, Light tries to learn about L from his father, but can learn nothing useful. L assigns FBI agents to follow everyone suspected of being Kira, including Light. James is upset by this, but can't argue with L's methods. Mia and Light discuss their options while riding a Ferris wheel on the pier, and Mia suggests that they kill all the agents in order to ensure that they can continue their killings without pointing L directly at Light. But Light refuses to kill innocent people. Later, the news takes note that Kira has not killed anyone since L began investigating the Seattle police, and Mia is clearly upset by this. The next day, all of the FBI agents get together and walk off the edge of a skyscraper, bursting like grapes on the pavement. Light is upset when he learns about this and accuses Ryuk of killing them against Light's wishes. Ryuk does not deny the charges, and Light threatens to write his name in the death note if he crosses him again even though the rules clearly specify human in the very first rule of the book. Ryuk laughs and tells him that the last person who tried only got through two letters. Light's dad appears on television, denouncing Kira for killing the agents and promising that he and his men will never stop hunting him. Mia tries to convince Light that they have to kill his dad, but Light refuses. That night, James comes home and in an actually touching scene, Light embraces his father and tells him that he is proud of him. L calls James to establish that he is still alive, then tells Watari that Light must be Kira because he spared James's life. Light sits at a cafe, reading a book about Shinigami where Ryuk is clearly drawn in traditional Japanese style, when L appears and sits across from him. L removes his scarf, revealing his face, and announces that he knows Light's true identity. Light denies the charges, but also warns L that he doesn't understand the nature of what he's dealing with. The two exchange a few more veiled threats, and Light leaves the cafe. Back at his house, Light finds Mia waiting for him in the rain. She apologizes for suggesting they kill his father and declares that she loves him. Light, 
thinking with his dick again, accepts the apology, and the two kiss. Light concocts a plan to learn L's true name. He writes Watari's name in the Death Note and specifies that he becomes obsessed with revealing the true identity of the detective known as L. For the next 48 hours, he will cease all communication with the outside world except to update what he learns to the number 206-555-0166 at 7 p.m. on October 12th. He dies. He explains that he plans to burn the page of the Death Note with Watari's name in it as soon as he learns what he wants. And Ryuk explains that only one name can be removed from the Death Note by burning it. Get this one wrong, you won't get another chance. And because Watari is his actual name for some reason, Watari calls Light and informs him that he does not know L's true name. He goes on to explain that L was part of a secret project in Montauk called the Rochester Wards. The, the project placed children in a conditioning vault for seven months, and any child that could maintain his or her sanity would be brought up to be the greatest detective in the world. Light begs Watari to find L's real name, and Watari agrees to travel to Montauk to find out. When L discovers that Watari has gone missing, he has a breakdown. He enters the Turner house with a search warrant and demands that Light bring Watari back. James bristles at the accusation against his son, but allows the cops to search his home. Light fears losing the Death Note, especially when Ryuk declares that Light himself will be the first name written down if the Death Note has found a new owner. Because f**k Light, right? The next day, as the school is preparing for the night's homecoming dance, Mia informs Light that she has the Death Note in her care. Meanwhile, Watari arrives in Montauk and enters an abandoned orphanage in the middle of the woods. Borrowing from every horror cliché ever, the building is full of abandoned rooms and secret passages, Discarded dolls and dusty beds and conspiracy iconography is everywhere. At the school dance, Light slips away from the surveillance team following him by giving his top hat to another boy. Light calls Watari as he retrieves the death note from Mia's locker. Watari is flipping through the Rochester Ward files, but has yet to find L's name. With time running out, Light opens the death note to retrieve Watari's page, but discovers that it has been torn out. A team of heavily armed men arrive at the orphanage and discover Watari in the basement just as he finds L's true name. Helpless to save him, Light listens as Watari is gunned down by the... Private Army? SWAT? It's not really clear who they're supposed to be. Either way, Watari is dead and Light is left with nothing. Light returns to the dance and confronts Mia, realizing for the first time that she not only killed Watari, but stole a page from the Death Note in order to kill the six detectives that had been following him before. How he failed to notice an entire page missing is beyond me, but he was probably too busy thinking with his dick. Light is upset, but Mia feels he is ungrateful for all she's done for him. Mia then reveals that she has written Light's name in the Death Note, and unless he hands ownership over to her, he will die at midnight. Meanwhile, El is informed of Watari's death and loses it completely. L retrieves a gun straight out of Blade Runner, even though he said previously that he never uses them. I don't even carry a gun, it's distracting. And steals a cop car, intending to confront Light directly. James Turner notices L's escape and orders the entire task force to hunt L down and protect Light from harm. Light slips away from the security again and then runs to the computer lab, where he brings up the Kira website from earlier and begins to scribble in the Death Note. You don't get to see what he writes, only that he looks super serious doing it. Mia texts Light to inform him that the police are looking for him, and Light tells her to meet him at the Ferris wheel for the film's climax. What follows is the funniest chase sequence I've ever seen in a movie. 
L attempts to chase Light down in his car and crashes into literally everything before getting out and chasing him on foot. Highlights from this sequence include L sliding across the hood of a car like he's trying way too hard to be cool, Light whipping a trash can as though to slow L with used tissues and paper cups, and finally, L literally smashing a dude's face into his plate of fries. The whole thing feels like a really unnecessary action sequence. Although I must give props to L's weird alien run. Seriously, he looks like a xenomorph. L finally corners Light in an alley and, rather than shoot him, listens to Light try to explain the situation. Wait, wait, wait! Didn't I clearly explain what would happen if Watson wasn't safely returned to me? Wait, you need to understand how it works. Okay, or you can't stop it. I couldn't stop it. Death can be handed out through a fucking calculus book. Stall it! No, I'm not. I swear to God, I'm not, okay? They are interrupted by a man taking out the trash. L explains that Light is Kira, and the man knocks him out with a beam of wood, hailing Light. Oh, Kira. Light takes L's gun and runs away. It's the climax! Light meets Mia at the pier and forces his way onto the Ferris wheel, threatening the Ferris wheel operator at gunpoint. Halfway up, Light shoots the operating box, preventing the Ferris wheel from being moved. Having successfully threatened assault and stranding them on this large set piece, Light begs Mia not to take the Death Note, citing their love for one another and declaring that if she takes the Death Note, she will never see him again. You love me! If you love me, then you gotta trust me! Don't take the book! Because if you do... You'll never see me again! She takes the Death Note. Mia looks at Light's horrified face and realizes what is happening. You put my name in it, didn't you? It was only if you took the book, and I thought I could convince you not to take Are it. Are you kidding me? Like... You put my name in the book, I got mad at him. Take... Are you You said me? you loved me, I thought you wouldn't take the book! Yes, despite never establishing a conditional rule before, Light somehow set it up so that Mia wouldn't die if she did not take the Death Note. Or maybe she took the Death Note because of what he wrote in the in the Death Note, and Light is just an idiot. Also, if Mia hadn't taken the Death Note, the two of them would still have been stranded on a Ferris wheel with the cops at their heels, so I'm not sure what Light's endgame was here. In any case, the Ferris wheel inexplicably collapses and the two are nearly flung out of the car. Light tries to save Mia, but both she and the Death Note slip out of his hands as the most anticlimactic song plays in the background. Light slips and joins them soon after. In glorious slow motion, we see Light fall into the lake while Mia falls into a flower cart on the pier, scattering petals everywhere and dying instantly. The page with Light's name in it falls out of the Death Note and lands on a convenient trash fire where L happens to see it burn, while the Death Note itself is washed ashore and picked up by a stranger. A few days later, L is being grilled by a man in a suit who informs him that several people have been killed by Kira while Light has been in a coma, thus disproving his theory. L is dismissed and is about to leave Seattle when he remembers something Light told him in the alley and realizes that Mia was involved the entire time. Meanwhile, Light wakes up in a hospital room with a death note in his lap. His father arrives and reveals far too calmly, that he found the article on the man who killed Light's mother in Light's room after Light had stolen it from his safe. 
and from this now knows that Light is Kira. Rather than getting angry, James simply asks how he did it. Light explains that on the night of the dance, he wrote the names of two men in a death note. One, a doctor guilty of fondling his patients, he assigned to fish Light out of the lake and bring him to the hospital in an induced coma before jumping off the roof. The other, a pedophile, he assigned to find the death note, continue Kira's killings, and then return it to Light before killing himself. Light also orchestrated Mia's death at the Ferris wheel if she refused to leave the death note be, and the burning of his page. Meanwhile, Elle breaks into Mia's house and discovers the page of the death note she hid in her calculus textbook, listing the names of all the dead FBI agents. In a fit of rage, Elle grabs a pen and considers adding Light's name to the list. Back at the hospital, Light explains the moral of the story and what he's learned over the course of the film. I made a lot of mistakes, and then I tried to fix them, but it didn't work. I thought it was simple at first. I was just going to kill all the bad guys, and the good guys would win, but it wasn't like that. It's like you said, sometimes you got to choose the lesser of the two evils. Which one are you, son? Ryuk appears with a cackle and declares that You humans are so interesting. <laughs> then credits happen. Did L write Light's name the Death Note? Did Light survive and fess up to his crimes? Or did Light kill his father and continue his reign as Kira? Who cares? The movie's over. Now, I know I made a lot of jabs at the film, but is it really that bad? I don't think so. It relies a little too heavily on the tired cliches, its characters are not entirely likable, the song choice is baffling, and the last third is just a bunch of action movie nonsense. But it has some genuinely tender moments, and the characters are just quirky enough to be memorable. Also, Willem Dafoe as Ryuk? Flawless. The thing that's actually disappointing about this movie is not that it doesn't live up to the source material, but that but that it doesn't even live up to its own potential. This movie could have made a great origin story, but the ending settles for a half-hearted, moral ending. I think I would have preferred a sequel-bait ending where Light's experience with Mia teaches him not to trust anyone, and he doubles down on his crusade against crime. Or one in which everyone dies and Ryuk simply passes the death note to someone else. L, arguably one of the more interesting characters, should have been fleshed out more, rather than devolving into a berserk revenge seeker. In fact, I think this movie would have been a hundred times better from Elle's perspective. It would have given it a completely different identity from the original anime, and could have made for a decent mystery. His background as part of the Rochester Wards could have made for some interesting character moments as well, and the movie certainly seemed interested in th this part of Elle's character that was not really a thing in the anime. Overall, Death Note is not a terrible movie and it's perfectly enjoyable for people unfamiliar with the source material. I can't say I would recommend it, but I can't find it in myself to hate it that much either. So that's my opinion of Death Note, completely apart from the anime. But, as a fan of the original, I can't help making a comparison or two. So, for the gratification of my fellow Death Note fans, I'd like to take a moment to list all the reasons why the anime is superior to the movie and why a non-anime fan should check it out regardless of what they thought of the movie. Let's start with our protagonists. Other than bearing the fir same first name, Light Turner from the movie and Light Yagami from the anime have nothing in common. In the anime, 
Light Yagami was a brilliant kid with a bright future who was corrupted by the power of the Death Note. He was confident, narcissistic, and actually believed himself to be a god. Light Yagami was willing and eager to eliminate anybody who posed a threat to him. And yet we rooted for him, not because we thought he was the good guy, but because it was fascinating to see him avoid detection through his quick wits and ability to think one step ahead of his opponents. Light Turner, on the other hand, is an easily manipulated coward who can't stand up for himself. He has a good sense of right and wrong, but loses sight of it the moment a woman bats her eyes at him. He believes he can make the world a better place, but lacks the confidence to see his vision through. He's a victim to the manipulations of both Mia and Ryuk, and it's just so hard to feel sorry for him. Matt Wolf also plays him like a complete goofball, and the script gives him some really stupid lines. Oh, hi, I'm awake. I just like a tree or a plant or something. Two days, your fingers are huge. <laughs> it's not that Light Turner is completely unlikable, but he feels far more like the goofy sidekick than a leading man. Also, both characters are supposed to be very clever, but while the anime actually shows us Light Yagami's cleverness through his actions, the movie never shows Light Turner doing anything clever. The only proof of his cleverness is his habit of doing other people's homework, which is more of a shrewd business practice than actual cleverness. But we can't really talk about Light without mentioning his other half. L is quite possibly the most iconic character from the original Death Note, and for good reason. He's a super detective in the vein of Sherlock Holmes, and like Light, they don't just talk about how smart he is, they show it through his logical deductions and clever mind games. Lakeith Stanfield does a good job capturing L's odd mannerisms and quirky personality. His alien movements and habit of trailing off mid-sentence give L a unique presence. However, the writing of the film does little to aid in his portrayal. Two scenes in particular seem to highlight this discrepancy between movie and anime. The first one is the scene where L challenges Kira to kill him on national television. When Kira does not kill him, he concludes that Kira wants to kill him, but can't because he needs a name and face in order to kill. This scene is similar to one in the anime, but in the anime, L sets up a double to speak on his behalf. Light Yagami kills this double without hesitation, not realizing that the man claiming to be L was actually a death row inmate, nor that the broadcast was limited to the Kanto area of Japan. It's this one setup that reveals to L that Kira is in Kanto, can only kill with a name and face, and that he will kill his opposition without hesitation. L in the movie does none of this, but still concludes that Kira wants to kill him and is simply unable. But this denies the possibility that Kira is simply unafraid of L, or finds killing him to be not right or worthwhile. The cleverness and deduction needed to make this conclusion are missing in the, in the movie, which makes L look like he's jumping to conclusions. The other scene is when L confronts Light face to face. In the anime, these two characters were the driving force of the drama, and their every meeting was a complex game of deception and intrigue as they both struggled to hide their true intentions while trying to break down the other's defense. The scene in the movie, however, boils down to Elle saying, I'm going to get you, while Light's response is, Come at me, bro. There's no cleverness behind it, and it's missing the one element that made the anime compelling. To its credit, I did appreciate how the movie made Elle feel a little more human. 
In the anime, Elle never sleeps and eats sweets almost exclusively, which seems an odd choice for a man who desires to work at the peak of his game. Watari's insistence in the movie that Elle's sleep goes a long way in proving Elle's humanity by addressing his physical limitations. Also, the fact that Elle breaks down when Watari is compromised shows he is a human being with emotions. The fact that he loses his mind and tries to kill Light, on the other hand, was dumb. The dynamic between Light and Elle was the meat of the original series, but there were a lot of secondary characters that aided the drama and a complex world of rules regarding the Shinigami and human realms. Much of this was lost in the movie, however, and the only glimpse we get of this larger world comes through Ryuk. Now, Ryuk was easily the best part of this movie, but his presence leaves a lot of unanswered questions. The most important being, what was his motivation? In the anime, Ryuk drops the Death Note at random because he was bored in the Shinigami world. He doesn't pressure Light to use the Death Note, and he has no vested interest in watching people die. He's just looking for something to do, which added a serendipity to the whole affair and brought in themes of fate and opportunity. In the movie, his presence is never explained. He just seems to really like killing people. Does he get something out of it, like power? Or is he just a force of nature, like the Joker? We never get an answer, and as a result, Ryuk comes across as a generic monster who follows the Death Notes, like the ghost in the well follows the VHS tape in the ring. Also, if they were trying to Americanize Death Note, why bring in a Shinigami at all? Shinigami are inherently Japanese, and the Japanese audience knows exactly what it means to be a god of death. Americans don't have that same kind of concept. If Ryuk were an American creation, he would probably be described as a demon, and the Death Note would be presented as a Faustian sort of deal with the devil. Also in the anime, Ryuk was an essential element in the intricate mind games and supernatural rules that governed the action. In the movie, he is simply an instigating force that occasionally adds unnecessary drama to a scene. He was cool-looking, but kind of pointless. The last character I'd like to touch on is Light's dad. I liked Light's dad. He reminded me a bit of my dad. He was a bit hard-nosed and stubborn, but he was always... But he was also very principled and stood up for what he believed in. He was rough, but he truly loved his son and would not abide in justice. So Ichiro Yagami, Light's dad in the anime, was very professional and stern, leading his men with respect and authority, like a good police officer. He was never particularly interesting, but he served his role well. Movie Dad was a lot more uh, hot-headed and totally American, but this actually worked in the context. I didn't have any problems with James Turner. Shea Wiggum did a good job. Gold Star movie. Now, the characters weren't the only differences between the movie and its source material. Despite bearing the same premise, the two tackled completely different themes. If I had to sum up the theme of the anime, I'd say it was about how easily power and idealism can corrupt a human being. The movie, on the other hand, is all about how women are the root of all evil. I'm only half-joking. The anime shies away from making any sort of statement about morality, choosing to focus more on the cat-and-mouse aspect of Elle's hunt for Kira, but still manages to bring up questions on a large number of topics, including the nature of justice and the difference between good and evil. The movie touches on some of these themes, but never fully acknowledges them. 
Even Light's final statement on how good is far more complex than eliminating evil rings hollow, since the only real casualty of Light's adventures was his relationship with his girlfriend and the innocent lives she destroyed. The anime, however, never makes such a moral stance. Instead, admitting that Kira's actions in the world have done some good, and asking whether or not the end truly justifies the means. The last major difference between movie and anime is obvious. The tone is completely different. The anime was a psychological thriller that saw two brilliant minds trying to outwit each other in a game of cat and mouse. The movie was an American thriller in the vein of Jason Bourne or, I don't know, Seven. By changing the focus, the movie got rid of all the things that made the anime great and failed to replace it with anything unique. And there's a simple explanation for all of these discrepancies. This was not a Death Note movie. This was an Adam Wingard movie. Adam Wingard is a director most known for his work in indie horror, and his style is all over this film. His previous work includes Your Next, The Guest, and VHS, and they all have scenarios that, while goofy and over-the-top at points, are nonetheless very stylish and engaging. Wingard's horror roots can be seen in the gory death sequences and in the loving tributes to classic films peppered throughout. Hell, he even pulls the old movie-within-a-movie homage by showing classic horror film Phantasm on the TV before James's announcement. And he didn't just draw from horror. You can see his cinematic influences in the cliché high school tropes, the noir-inspired neon lights, and the old-school indie rock soundtrack. Adam Wingard is a good director, and he does very well in the world of horror, but the original Death Note is not horror, and this is where the bulk of the mistranslation comes in. It feels as though some executive saw the title Death Note and said, that sounds like horror, let's get that Wingard guy to make this, he's good at horror. Except I've gotten the impression that Adam Wingard was truly passionate about this movie. He may not have been the right man to adapt the story, but he made the movie he wanted to make, and he made it to the best of his ability. I can't fault him for that. So, is Death Note the worst thing to happen to anime since Dragon Ball Evolution? No. If this movie points even one person towards the original, I think it will have been a good thing. There's plenty of substance in the movie for people to enjoy, and even spur the imagination to create something new. As for me, the movie's flaws just make me appreciate the original even more. Seeing how a simple concept like a killer notebook could have been taken in any direction makes me appreciate how the anime managed to turn it into a thrilling narrative about the nature of justice. We are shaped by the stories we tell, both the good and the bad. If you loved Death Note, that's great. If you hated it, that's great too. After all, if it was perfect, I wouldn't be speaking right now, and you wouldn't be listening to me. Thank you for listening. Till next time. You're out of the woods, you're out of the dark, you're out of the night. Step into the sun, step into the light. Keep straight ahead for the most glorious place on the face of the earth and the sky. Hold on to your breath, hold on to your heart.